But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for the whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Amen. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. I started a series in 1 Timothy a couple of weeks ago, and I'm calling this series Living Out Love in the Local Church. And the two key verses are what we looked at the last time where he says in 1 Timothy 1.5, that the purpose of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. So the goal is love. We're to live out love. And then this, a second key verse in Timothy is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And the verse is on the screen, but let's read that verse together where Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3:15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church has been given the great responsibility to shine the light of God's truth to the world. The church is not the truth, but the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We're to be, if you will, good uh, stewards of God's truth in the church. And so we need to know how to live out love in the local church, how we should know how to behave ourselves. My mother always told me that. Now behave yourself, Matthew. Don't misbehave, which I did a lot of that. So today we're going to look at this passage in 1 Timothy. And the message today is how to never get over your salvation. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, especially verses 11 or 12 through 17. I believe we should have the wonder of salvation in our lives and never lose the wonder and the glory of salvation. Yet don't you know, do you know people who have, have accepted the Lord, 
made professions of faith, and then just gone back to the way that they lived. They seemed like they were, they started off so great and seemed so sincere in their faith even. Man, they seemed like they were on fire for God even. But then their faith just fizzled out. Do you know anybody like that? It happens. Jesus gave a parable about that. About the seed planted in the ground and at first it springs up, but then the cares of this world and the lusts of other things and the, and the worries of life just can douse the, the, the growth of that plant and it shrivels up. And it really wasn't, it wasn't life in the first place. Real true salvation life. So, this passage is so amazing to me because Paul has been saved for 25 years when he writes this. This, this book is actually written towards the end of his life, probably around A.D. 63. And he's going to have his head cut off in probably around A.D. 67, probably four years after this. He's been saved for almost 25 years. And yet he looks back at his salvation as if, as if it were yesterday. There was a freshness to his, in his soul. It, it was like salvation was like as fresh as the morning dew to him. So, I, Paul's our example of someone who never got over, never got over his salvation. And so let's look at this passage today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's just read verse 12. It's a beautiful Thanksgiving verse since this is our Thanksgiving weekend. Let's all read that as we start. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Isn't that beautiful? I thank Christ Jesus who? Our Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so we thank Him for all He is to us. Let's pray. So Father, now take this time. Thank You, Lord, that You are with us, Jesus Christ. Thank You for Your church. You are the head of Your church. We do pray, God, that You would strengthen us as we serve You here in this great city to be a light of Your love, to be a light of Your salvation, and not to be ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the blood shed by You, Lord Jesus, on the cross and the power of Your resurrection. In Jesus' name, Amen. So you remember when Paul was on that Damascus road persecuting Christians and the light shined upon him? And, and Paul was like, and then he heard the voice of Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And do you remember what Paul said? He said, who art thou, Lord? He knew the one speaking to him was God. And Jesus answered, I am Jesus. And at that moment, when Paul recognized Jesus as Lord, I believe he was saved right on that Damascus road. For if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. And Paul confessed Jesus as Lord. He wasn't in a church. There wasn't a religious person telling him anything. He was meeting Jesus Christ. And that is an example of His salvation. This says it's on, brother. I don't know what to say. If you want... It's, it's, I'm unmuting it. Yeah, here, you take it. You want it? Okay. So, so as we get now here into Timothy, 
Timothy's in a diff- difficult situation in this church. I preached a sermon earlier, the first message, I preached about how Timothy was in a hot water situation because there were false teachers coming into the church. There was a heresy that was deeply embedding itself in the church. And so Paul tells Timothy, I want you to stay there and I want you to show love and let love flow through you there. And now Paul's going to go back to his testimony as an encouragement for what God can always do in difficult situations. We might, we might feel like, oh, my, my family, they're so hard and cold from the Lord. They can never get saved. Oh, yeah? Paul got saved. <laughs> or we're in such a hard city, it's so hard to see people come to Jesus in the city. And so, I, 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 don't, I don't even want to try anymore. I give up. Don't give up. Paul was saved. We should never give up to, because God can do great and mighty things. So Timothy was in this situation. And in Ephesus, many had left their first love. There was a heresy, a false teaching going through the church. And many people just wanted their ears tickled. They wanted to hear stories and genealogies and speculations from the law and stories wrapped around with fables and things like that. And if you read First and Second Timothy and even Titus, it, it, Paul alludes to it throughout all of these books. If you go to even one passage, that's pretty interesting. Go to Second Timothy chapter 4. And here it's, it speaks about the heresy that was in this church and what, what people wanted to hear from Timothy. And so Paul is telling Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord because of the blessed Gospel which He has committed to my trust. And don't move away from the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you please look at verse 2 where Paul tells Timothy, preach the Word. Don't preach speculations of men. Preach the Word that we know is true. The inspired, breathed out Word of God. And then he says, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Verse 3, could you read it with me? It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so the people wanted their ears tickled with speculations and false doctrines, even doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But Paul is overwhelmed with the Gospel. Look at verse 11. Go back to our text in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 11. And here's how we're never going to get over our salvation as we remain continually thankful to God and all He has done for us through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We will never get over our salvation if we never get over what Jesus Christ has done for us in the Gospel. The glorious Gospel. Look at verse 11 here in 1 Timothy 1. He says, according to the glorious Gospel of the blessed God, the happy God, who gave His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And you know what the Gospel is. is Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And He was buried. And He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And He was seen of many. And so as we remain continually thankful to God, because right after that Paul says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord for that glorious Gospel. 
The Gospel reveals the very essence of God's glorious nature. The glorious Gospel, Paul calls it. Think of that. The glorious God. You want to see the glory of God? Consider the Gospel. The glory of, of God's love is there on the cross. The glory of God's holiness is there on the cross. The glory of God's justice, His mercy, His power to die for our sins and rise again. Because the Gospel is Christ died, He was buried, He rose again. Don't be moved from that because false doctrine will always attack the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The false doctrine that Timothy was dealing with These people were teachers of the law. They said they they wanted to be teachers of the law, but Paul said they didn't understand the law. They weren't using the law properly. They were misusing and abusing the law and using the law for speculations and genealogies and fables of men. So Paul writes this passage, and it's a very personal passage of Scripture. And he tells Timothy, here's how you can never get over your salvation. We have to remain thankful because it begins, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, our Lord. And how do we never get over our salvation? Is that we must remain thankful in these three ways that we'll look at this morning that Paul underlines for us. And the reality is this, friends, dear beloved, it's easy to lose the joy of the Lord. It's easy to lose an enthusiasm for the Word of God. It's easy to lose a desire to wake up on Sunday morning and go to church. It's easy to get bored with things in life. But don't get bored with the Bible. Don't get bored serving God. Don't get bored passing out Gospel tracts. Don't get tired and weary of being faithful in the local church. Don't lose the joy of the Lord. And here's three things we can look at today. Number one, remain thankful for your calling that Christ has called you to. We have a great calling, a high calling. As I put on the screen here, you know what kind of calling we have in Jesus Christ? What kind of calling do we have? We have a high calling, a holy calling, a heavenly calling. God has called us to believe in Jesus Christ. And we've answered that call. We have a high calling from God Himself. And it's a calling from a holy God to live a holy life. And it's a calling that came literally from heaven and it's going to lead us back to heaven one day. Remain continually thankful for Christ's calling. Notice in this passage how personal Paul is. Look at verse 12. What does he say? He, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, for that He counted who? What does it say? Me, faithful, putting me into the ministry. And then He talks about Himself, what He was before. But He says then, I obtained mercy. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And then down in verse 15, He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And, and so there's at least ten times in this, these few verses, Paul uses personal pronouns to refer to himself. Because Paul never got over what Jesus Christ did for him in calling him. Where was that call? That was on the Damascus Road. 
He never forgot that moment of time. As I said before, it happened 25 years before he writes this. But it's as if it happened yesterday, as Paul remembers it. I thank Christ Jesus who has enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And that's when the Lord put Him into the ministry, right there at, at that Damascus call, that He was going to be a light to the, to the world, to, to the Gentiles and to kings. Remain continually thankful for Christ's calling. Have you been called to Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Have you truly heard His voice? Speak to your heart. Believe in Me! And you say, yes, Lord. I believe that You're the Savior of the world. And you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord. And you believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And that You're a child of God. And that, and that Your decision is sealed in heaven. Because He that hath begun a good work in You will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And you never get over it. That's what Paul's saying here. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. And notice what he says. He says, who has enabled me. You know where that word enabled is found? In one of the most well-known texts of the New Testament. You know it. He has enabled me. It's the same original language words in Philippians 4.13. You know what that verse is? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that's what Paul says. He has strengthened me. Think of Paul before he was saved. He was like an untamable tiger. He was like a raging, roaring lion, persecuting Christians, jailing them, shutting them down, killing them if he could. He was a brutal man, a bloody man. Yet, this raging lion met the greatest lion of all, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he was tamed. And he believed. And he says, now the Lord has enabled me. He strengthened me. Paul knew the strength of Jesus Christ. Putting me into the ministry. Now, Paul's ministry wasn't ours. But everybody has a unique ministry. Paul was an apostle. There are no apostles here. You know, this isn't just for being a pastor even. When he says, he hath enabled me, having he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. That's interesting. And exactly what it means as Paul, when Paul was saved, he's saying, when I was saved, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, Paul was not chosen because he was faithful. I mean, he was an angry man, persecuting, killing Christians. But yet the Lord knew what kind of man Paul would become. And Paul was a man that would receive the strength of Jesus Christ that would enable him. And God knew he would be faithful in the future. And he put him in the ministry. So beloved, look at it that way. God has saved you because he knew you would, you would live out your salvation. He saved you because he saw that you would be faithful. So be faithful. Live faithful to him. Rely on his strength, his might, the might of his power. And then not only did Paul thank God for the, his calling in the might that he received, but secondly, the mercy, the mercy of God. Look at verse 13. He says, but I obtained mercy, even though 
I was these, these three things. What does Paul say? What, what was he before he was saved? What were the three words he says there? He was a blasphemer, a what? A persecutor and a injurious. You know what blaspheme means? He spoke against God. He blasphemed God. You know what persecution is? He didn't just behave badly and speak badly of God. He behaved badly and spoke badly of Christians. He persecuted them. And then injurious is he did it in an extreme fashion. He did it more than anyone else probably in his whole generation. And we'll see that in a moment when we get to verse 15. Paul was the the ringleader of the persecutors. He was unusual in his zeal against the church of Jesus Christ. Persecuting the church. And when Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? That gave Paul his theology as well. That the church is what? What is the church? The body of Jesus Christ. And as Paul was persecuting the church, he was actually persecuting Christ because the church is the body of Christ. Not just one church, but all of them together as well. So, Paul is overwhelmed with thankfulness. And he's overwhelmed with his calling of salvation and service to the Lord. And by the way, a call to salvation is a call to service. Have you been called to know Jesus and see your Savior? Are you born again? Then he's called you to serve him. In one way or another, all of us are called to serve the Lord. I'm supposed to put this on now. Such technical... technological distractions in life. Okay, thank you, Pastor Carmine. This is good? It's okay. Thank God for the mercy that He provides. Thank God for the might of His strength. He says, I obtained mercy. And He says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul is not excusing his sin, but he's saying... What Paul is saying, and we read this like when we read his testimony in other places, that when he persecuted the church, he did it in a good conscience. He thought he was right. So he did it. He was persecuting the church ignorantly. He thought he was actually serving God by persecuting the church. And there are some people who do that. And I believe why Paul says that in this context is because the heretics knew better that Timothy was dealing with. They knew better than to persecute the church with their false doctrines because they had come to know that Jesus Christ in the Gospel and now were turned away from it uh, to, to other false ideas. Paul obtained mercy. By the way, this exact same phrase, we'll see it again in verse 16. Paul is overwhelmed with the mercy of God. I obtained mercy. Does that mean anything to you? That God has given you His mercy. His mercy is His love in action. Mercy isn't just words. Mercy is is words with action behind it. And the action is Jesus Christ Himself, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. So Paul is saying to, to never lose the joy of your salvation. To never grow weary in well-doing. And it's easy to do. is remain thankful for Christ's calling in your life. 
And actually, that's why a testimony is important. It's good to have a testimony and to always keep that testimony fresh in your mind. You know, when Paul was on trial multiple times, what would he, when he shared the gospel, what would he begin with? His own personal testimony. And we read of Paul's salvation testimony, and then we read it twice again when he gives his testimony in Acts. And then we also read his testimony in his epistles. When he writes to the Philippians, he says, I was before, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, and so forth. And he, he wrote his testimony according to what the hearers needed, but in the book of Philippians and the book of Galatians. And now in the, in the end of his life, he's still remembering his testimony because it was fresh to him. You know, I can never forget the third row of Welcome Baptist Church in Central South Carolina when I was a freshman college student at Clemson that lost yesterday. Is Etha here? Etha? No, Etha's my fellow Clemson fan. But anyway... I was saved as a freshman college student. I was in the third row, right over here in this little Baptist church. And I can picture that, and I remember that, when I believed in Jesus Christ, and my hand went up in faith, and I sensed the Holy Spirit come into me in that moment, and I was a new creation in Jesus Christ in April 16, 1978. That was quite a few years ago, more than 25. But I can remember that like yesterday. Now, some of you were saved when you were young, and maybe you don't have that greater recollection, but if you've been saved, I don't say you have to know that specific moment, but it sure helps. <laughs> and to, to know that you were born, born again, and you're a child of God, and you obtain mercy, and you never let that go and slip out of your mind. And then Paul not only received the might and strength of Jesus, and receive the mercy of Jesus. But he says, I've received multiple gifts on top of that. What are the three multiple gifts Paul references in verse 14? Now, I'm trying to keep you awake here, because sometimes you go through these epistles, and it's a little tough sometimes. I, I understand that. But if you could try to stay awake, I'll try to keep it as interesting as I possibly can. I, 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 I'm trying. <laughs> But look at verse 14. What does it say? What are the three gifts in verse 14? What are they? Grace, faith, and love. Now go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And as you go there, let me just say this. Look what he says about grace. This was a, what, how much grace is it? Is it like, he, God gave you just enough grace so you could be saved. You know, sometimes when... Isn't it amazing like if you buy something and it comes in a box how tightly that box is, is boxed. It's like they don't, they don't waste us. I mean, it, it's like really tight. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's boxed really tight. And if you try to put it back in the box, it's even hard to repack it the, w the way it was because the box is just... Uh, that's not how God gives us salvation. He doesn't just give us just barely enough grace so that we can be saved. Well, how much grace does He give us? He says a hyper, and literally the Greek word is, is hyper, hyper of grace, a hyper amount of grace. It's super abundant grace. And with that grace comes what? Faith and love all packaged together. Not tight, but overflowing is the idea here. And grace 
and faith and love are not mere virtues we, we strive to achieve. They're gifts that we receive, we access, and then we live them out. We have to live out that grace and that faith and that love. And look what it says in Ephesians 1, 13. Can we all read that together? It says in Ephesians 1, 13, In whom ye also... That's not the verse I wanted. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> verse 15. I, I wasn't far off, but I think I did this at 5.30 in this morning. Got that verse. But look at verse 15. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you. You know what two of the great evidences of salvation are? And that's why we're doing it in 1 John. That's exactly what Pastor Carmine was up here saying earlier. If you're truly saved, what will you exercise in your life? Faith and love. That's, those are evidences and signs of a Christian. May God help us to live out the grace of God with faith and love that is all in Christ Jesus, he says. It's in Jesus Christ. We have to access that. So that's the first thing. Never lose sight. Never get over your salvation by remaining thankful for Christ's calling in your life. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has called me to Himself. The second thing is, is to remain thankful for Christ's coming. Never forget the coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for this passage on this Sunday because it's a Thanksgiving passage. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And, but now it leads us into the Christmas season. Because look at verse 15. This is one of the most astounding, one of the most powerful Gospel texts in all the Scripture. As Paul says in verse 15, this is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation. You should not argue against this, Paul's saying. What I'm about to say now, it's, this is rock-solid truth, evidence. It is a faithful saying of God. And it's true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul says. So we must remain continually thankful for Christ's coming. His calling and His coming. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners such as Paul. Think of that. Think of the coming of Jesus Christ in this powerful Gospel verse. He came. That speaks of His incarnation. He came through the miracle of the virgin birth. He lived from eternity in heaven. And He came to earth. That's what Paul's saying here. And the mission of Jesus Christ is actual... History. He came in history. He came into our world. He eternally existed in heaven. And then He came to the world incarnated in human flesh as a baby born in Bethlehem. Messiah has come. He came into the world to save sinners. We see His incarnation. And we see the target. What's the target of His coming? What, what, what do I mean? What's the target of His coming? What did He come into? He came into what? says He came into the world. His target is who? 
the world. His target isn't just a certain group of people. He came and he was born in Bethlehem. We know that. But his target is to save the world. Oh, you mean to save all the people of India? Yes. If anyone in India is going to be saved, who's going to save them? Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He came. His target is the world. The, the, the billion of people in China. If the people of China are going to be saved, they're going to be saved by who? Jesus Christ. There's no other religion. There's no other way. There's no other God. But Jesus Christ, our Lord. The target is the world. Say, well, you can't really believe that. That one man born in Bethlehem as a baby is the only way to heaven? Yeah. Neither is there salvation in any other. That's what the apostles preached. There's not salvation in any other. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Call His name Jesus. Why? He will save His people from their sins. He's the Savior of the world. His target is the world. It's, he didn't go come... It doesn't say the elect there either. And this getting ready for chapter 2 where He says He gave Himself a ransom for all. He will have all men to be saved. He will have all men to be saved. His target is the world. And His coming is so personal. He comes to save sinners. This reminds us of uh, Luke 19.10 when Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Who's lost? All of us are lost. If we don't know Jesus, we're lost. Because when He finds us, we're found. He came into the world to save sinners. You know, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians before this, because again, this is, this is his next to last epistle. The last epistle would be 2 Timothy. And, or, or Titus was probably along with 1 Timothy. But second, so this is right toward the end of his life. But earlier, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he was, he was the least of all saints, of all Christians. And he said that in, in Ephesians. Before that, he said he was the least of the apostles. So he said, I was the least of the apostles. Out of all the twelve apostles, I'm the least. Because he wasn't called like the other apostles were. He was called later, right? I'm the least of the apostles. Then he wrote to the Ephesians after that. He says, I'm the least of all the Christians. I'm the least of all the believers. Because of his persecutions and things that he had done. And now he comes to the end of his life and he says, I'm the chief of what? <laughs> I'm the chief of sinners. And that's in the present tense. He doesn't say, I was. He says, I am. Paul's saying, I'm the first in being the worst. <laughs> I'm the first one who is the worst one. The chief of sinners. We did a message on Gamaliel a couple weeks ago. Remember that? Probably not, but it's hard to remember stuff. Some of you weren't there. But Gamaliel is, was a, a Jewish leader among the Pharisees. And they were wondering what to do with the apostles. All the, the rest of this, the Jewish Sanhedrin wanted to kill all the apostles right there. Can you imagine if that had happened? Wow, can you imagine if all the apostles were killed right there in Acts chapter 5? Before Peter, before John... He, even wrote any books of the Bible. And they were wiped out. But So God used Gamaliel in an amazing way, in a, in a sense, to, to keep the apostles from being killed. But Gamaliel wasn't saved. He was 
a very kind person, it seems. He was very rational. He, he was nonviolent. He was, he was uh, cultured. He was educated. He was reasonable in all his ways. And his conclusion was, don't, don't kill them. Let's, not, let's, let's, let, let's wait and see what happens with the apostles and with the, the church. And so let's just wait and see. He wasn't saved. But he said, let's wait and see. Well, Paul wasn't following Gamaliel's advice. <laughs> Paul was persecuting them. He was the anti-Gamaliel. He was the chief of sinners. And yet he got saved. I read the story of a man named Thomas Bilney. He lived during the days of the English Reformation in the late 1400s. He was born and then into the early 1500s. He was saved. And he was reading this verse. He was reading this very verse we're looking at. He said, this one sentence, through God's instruction and inward working, did so exhilarate my heart, being before wounded with the guilt of my sins. This one sentence wounded his spirit, brought to him this a sense of guilt, and then he received marvelous comfort. My bruised heart leaped for joy. And this Scripture began to be more pleasant to me than honey or the honeycomb. And he went on preaching. He was arrested. He recanted. He felt terrible about that. After a while, he says, I'm going to go preach again. He kept preaching with a zeal. And they arrested him again and put him to the stake and burned him. But he was a leader in the Reformation. And he led others to Christ who carried on that Reformation in the early 1500s. He read the Scripture that we're reading today. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. May God speak to your heart that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Does that include you? Doesn't it include you? I know it includes me. And Paul says, of whom I am chief. I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. So, Paul is overwhelmed that Christ came to save sinners like him, but then secondly, that Christ came to show His patience. <clears throat> now, if you mark your Bible, underline that word chief there. And it's really the word that means first. And do you see in this next verse, Paul says, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first. That's the same word as chief. And I missed that, actually. I just found that out this week. So that was new to me and I thought of, of importance in understanding what Paul's saying. And he says that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering. What, Paul, what is Paul saying there? He's saying that I was this chief of all sinners and now I am the chief example of God's patience for sinners. I was the first among sinners. There was nobody who persecuted the church like Paul. And now, I want God, and God can use my salvation as a, an example. Exhibit number one of how God is patient and loving to bring sinners to salvation. And I thought if Paul's exhibit number one, let's be exhibit number two. Because these things are written for us, right? So Paul is saying here when he says that Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering 
That's the idea of God has a long fuse before He explodes and sends us to hell. God has lo- he, he, he suffers long with us, doesn't He? God is long-suffering for a pattern. That, that word pattern is like a blueprint. It speaks of being an example for others to them which should hereafter believe on Me to life everlasting. So Paul is saying, my salvation is a blueprint for others and it's an example of God's patience with me and with all of us. What's the point? Some people may think, you don't know me, Pastor. Matt, you you don't know me. There's no way God could save me. I've done things that are so wrong that God could never forgive me. Every once in a while, I'll get somebody call me up and say, I've committed the unpardonable sin, and I want to be saved, but I know I've committed this unpardonable sin, and so I can't be saved. And I try to convince them, if you are afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin, I've got good news for you. You haven't. (laughs) Because if you've committed that sin, you'd never want to be forgiven. But the point is, the point here is that even the greatest enemies of God, God is per- patient with. And Paul is in a situation where the enemies were in the church and they were teaching false doctrines. And Paul's encouraging Timothy, hey Timothy, if God was patient with me, you'd be patient with them. And, and if God could save me, God could save them too, Timothy. Don't give up seeking to be a light of, of a testimony of Jesus Christ. This should encourage us. And you know, God saved you to be an example of His grace to your friends, to your family. And let's not give up. Sometimes family are the hardest ones to witness to. Those closest to us sometimes are hard, show the greatest hardness to our faith in Jesus. Don't give up. Pray for them. Ask God to shine His light upon them. And let me just say this as well. When Paul says that his salvation was an example, a pattern, a blueprint for others which should hereafter believe. That doesn't mean when Paul says his salvation is a pattern. Now, when Paul was saved, was there a light from heaven? Is that the pattern? In other words, if you you don't see a light, you weren't saved. Is that the pattern? No. Paul heard the voice of Jesus Christ speak. Did you hear the voice of Jesus speak audibly to you when you were saved? No, Paul did, but that's not the pattern that Paul is getting at. So the pattern is not that we see a light, not that we fall to the ground. It's not like you have to fall to the ground if you're going to be saved. Not that you hear the voice of Jesus speak. But the pattern is that God showed patience. He showed patience. He could have cast all of us into hell before we were saved. And you might be going through some troubles right now. And life is filled with trouble. And life is hard. Life is difficult. It is difficult. And sometimes we may feel like giving up and growing weary and well-doing. But just remember, He saved you from hell in His patience. And never get over it. Never get over what God has done in saving your soul and giving you eternal life. And never doubt the power of Jesus Christ that is limitless 
is infinite. His power is infinite to save even the chief sinners. And there's one last word I just want to look at in verse 16, then I'll go to the last point. Look what he says in verse 16. How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy. Salvation gives us a cause, a purpose to live for. Never get over that God has saved you. He could have saved you and taken you to heaven just after you were saved. But He didn't. He didn't save us and take us to heaven. Here we are. Why? God has a cause. You should have a a sense of purpose for life. I believe this with all my heart. Nothing in this world will give you a sense of purpose and a cause to live for other than Jesus Christ and the Gospel. Live for Him. Live for His glory. Jesus Christ gives us a cause. Remember when David was figuring out what was going on with Goliath and his brothers were there and he comes on the scene and they're like, oh, that giant David, you can't, you, you're just a little guy, you're, a little, you're the youngest of the brothers. And David though, David saw that he was mocking the, the name of God and David says, is there not a cause? David saw a cause. And so God's true people see a cause. And the cause of Jesus Christ, He came into the world to save, to save sinners. And our cause is to be a witness for Him no matter where we go, no matter where we are. Because His cause is there is life everlasting. And we want people to have that everlasting life. The last thing, and this is just quick, in verse 17, Paul finishes with the doxology of praise. This section really began expressing thanks for what God has done, where he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've been talking about what God has done. He's, he's in His calling, in His coming. But now He finishes by giving a, a praise to God for who He is. He praises God. And it's like a song. It's a song. He, he, he has a little verse in verse 17. It's a song of praise to God in the midst of of his being overwhelmed with never growing tired, never growing weary, never getting over his salvation. Never get over your salvation, dear friends, because of the calling of Jesus Christ in your life. Never get over your salvation because of what Jesus Christ came to do to save sinners and to show mighty patience for us. Never get over your, your salvation because of God's character, because of who he is. God is great. So look what Paul says in verse 17. Now unto the King eternal. That is, He is, He was, and He will be. He's eternal. Tonight we're going to look at the eternal nature of God in the I am statements. Don't you love those I am statements? You should call us tonight on the radio and tell us why you especially love those I am statements. That would be a good thing to call. Do you love the I am statement? When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection. We're going to look at the very first one tonight. I am, where Jesus told the woman of Samaria, I am the Messiah. And you know what I am means? It means that He was, He is, and He will be. He never changes. He's eternal. And that means that 
who God was, he, he, he is. And who God is, He will be. And who God is, He will be. Who God is, He was. And who God is, He was. And who God is, He will be. God is always the same. He's eternal. He's immortal. He never grows tired. You cannot destroy God. You cannot defeat Him. He's immortal. He's invisible. No man hath seen God at any time. But His actions are undeniable. He's invisible, but His work is not invisible. And by the way, another interesting thing about this passage is Paul's been talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was God manifest in the flesh. In verses 12, he he mentioned Jesus Christ. He doesn't mention God, the Father. He's talking about Christ Jesus. And you get to verse 17, you say, well, who's he talking about? The King Eternal. Well, who's the King Eternal? We might think, who's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Jesus Christ. But then in this song of praise in verse 17, he says that the one whom he's praising is what? Is invisible. Now, is Jesus Christ invisible? Say, no. Oh, so he's not talking about Jesus Christ here. He's talking about God the Father, who is invisible spirit. So, what's amazing is that because they're one, they're co-equal, co-powerful, co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one divine essence, God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. We come to verse 17, you say, well, who is he talking about? He's been talking about Jesus, but then he says he's invisible. Oh, he's talking about the Father. They're one and yet distinct. It's an amazing thing. But he's the only wise God. We want wisdom in life. Keep going back to God. So Paul praises God. So, I hope this message makes sense to you. Never get over your salvation because of the calling of Jesus Christ in your life. The coming of Jesus Christ to save you. And the character of God who is your wisdom who is always there for you, will never leave you or forsake you. So as I close, I read a story of a man. He was hung for murder in Tokyo in the year 1918. And he was in a solitary confinement. He was a brutal and vicious man. Did unthinkable things. And he was on death row. He was going to die for his crimes. Before he died, though, two Christian missionaries went to tell him about Jesus Christ. He was a chief sinner, right? And when these two ladies went to visit this man, Tokishi Ishii, in prison, they told him of the words of Jesus Christ on the cross. Father, you know him, forgive them for they know not what they do. And after their visit, they left him a Bible and he read the account of the trial and suffering of Jesus Christ. And this is what he wrote. I was stabbed to the heart like as if by a five-inch nail. What did that verse reveal to me? And it was, he was riveted on those words, Father, forgive them. He was riveted to those words, for they know not what they do. The words of Jesus Christ of mercy, of forgiveness. And He says, 
what shall I call those words? Shall I call it the love of the heart of Christ? Shall I call it His compassion? I do not really know what to call it. I only know that with an unspeakable heart, I receive them. You receive the Word of Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God. And he says, and, and basically like a compelling lightning bolt of divine beauty, those words lodged in his heart. And he believed in Jesus Christ, a murderous man on death row. So he lived out his final days locked up in a prison cell, six feet by nine feet in size. And this is what he said, I am infinitely happier now than in all the days of my sinning when I did not know Jesus Christ. Now, he didn't have long to live before he died, but he didn't get over his salvation. I don't know how long you're going to live before you die, but if you're saved, never get over his calling, his coming, and his character in your life. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank You for Your attention today. Thank You for being in the house of God today. For seeking first His kingdom. May God use His Word to live in our hearts. To encourage us to be better witnesses. To remain faithful. For God is faithful. To look to Him for wisdom. For we are without His wisdom fools. God, we look to You now on this Thanksgiving weekend. We know that Thanksgiving and giving thanks is so very important. But today, Lord, help us to see Thanksgiving as absolutely essential for us so that we never get over what You have done to save us. Help us to always be thankful to You, God that You have called us for those who are saved, that You have come to die on the cross for us. We thank You for Your mighty character. You are eternal. You are immortal. You are invisible. You are the only wise God forever and ever. And You're our King. Oh God, You're our King. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And who would say, Pastor Matt, I am saved by the grace of God. And I take this message and I don't want to get over my salvation. I want to have that thanks to God, as you said, for His calling to be saved and His coming for me to save me and for who He is in His mighty character. I thank God for who He he is. And yes, Pastor Matt, I'm with you. I don't want to get over my salvation. I want to remain thankful in my soul. Can I see your hand? Just put it up and say, Yes, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, not to get over Your love. Oh, there's a lot of people who are fizzling out in their faith, dear friend. Don't fizzle out. Don't go away from the Lord. Don't, Don't get tired of God. Don't get tired of the Bible. Thank you. You may put your hands down. You know, just had this thought. When I became saved... I was in Bible college and I was reading my Bible one day and before class and one of my roommates said to me, why do you read your Bible all the time? I said, well, I just was saved and I'm reading my Bible. I want to read through my Bible. This was in 1978 when I was a, 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 a Bible college. I said, I want to read through my Bible. And he told me, he told me then, he says, oh, you'll get tired of it soon. 
I heard, that's what somebody in a Christian college told me. I will get tired of reading the Bible. Dear friends, this is the year 2022. You can count how many years that is. From 1978 to 2022. But I'm not tired of the Bible yet. And don't get tired of reading God's Word. Don't get tired of prayer. Don't get tired of being faithful in the local church. That's my heart to you today. Now, is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. I need Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to hear His call. And I have heard His call to believe, but I've never yet finalized that decision. I need to finalize that decision and call upon Him. Is there anyone who would say, Pastor Matt, pray for me? Just put your hand up to the Lord and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? Oh, so Father, our hearts yearn to see souls come to You. Give us Your grace to see many saved in the days ahead, Lord, because that's why You came. In Jesus' name, Amen.